Good morning. Awesome. I want to welcome everybody to the church today. I want to welcome everybody that is watching us online right now this morning. And thank you so much for tuning in and staying connected to Passionate Life Church. If you do not know me, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead uh, pastor, and we are in a brand new series uh, called Refuge for the last five weeks. It's been brand new for five weeks. Come on, somebody. And... Uh, and if you've missed any of the, the parts of this series over the last uh, five weeks, I want to encourage you, go online, watch on YouTube, listen to our podcast, and, and, and catch up. But here's, here's the big idea. The big idea is that God is calling his church to be a refuge, right? Uh, in scripture, God is saying, I want to be your refuge. And as the church, we are supposed to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so uh, as we create this, this place of refuge for God, a safe place where we can come and, and find healing, find restoration, but also there's an equipping process because God is building an army. He's looking for an army. He's, he's returning for his church. And so, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a multiple uh, purpose for us creating this refuge, this, this safe place of protection where we can come and, and find healing, but also we can be equipped to be sent out. Amen? And so, um, and, and, and the big idea is, is that what, what I've seen is there's a lot of Christians that lack hope and lack courage. And so we spent the first week talking about hope, getting our hope back. If there's a people on the planet that should be hopeful, it should be the followers of Christ. And, and then uh, we just kind of been stuck on this word called courage. And, and, and because, my, man, I just feel like the Holy Spirit is just resonating in so many people's lives that, that we need to have courage. And, and what does it look like to have have courage in a culture that is antichrist, that is opposite of, of the things of God and the word of God. And, and so what does it look like to have real courage in the face of opposition? And so we've been, we've been uh, sitting here for about four weeks on courage. We'll probably preach on courage. I'll probably teach on courage next week too and, and maybe for the rest of the year. I don't know yet. I don't know yet. But, but I know we just, man, we need God's people need to have courage. And so last week, and, and um, I will recap last week really, really quick, uh, we were just talking about this idea of having a different kind of courage. Go ahead and put the, the definition of courage uh, on the screen. The definition of courage is the quality of mind or spirit that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain without fear. And I think at some point um, in, in this series, we're going to talk about uh, without fear, okay, that word without fear, because I've been mean, like, man, how do we do that as followers of Christ? And so uh, we're going to tackle that at some point in this series. Come on, let's bow our heads and, and close our eyes, and, and man, just, just let's just pray and, and seek God, and then we'll get in God's word today. Father, we just thank you for this moment. Father, this is your, your moment, Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for every person that's in this room today. It is not by mistake that they're here. God, I, I, Father, I thank you for everybody that is watching us online right now. God, I pray right now, Father, that they would experience your Holy Spirit right now. God, we just ask that you would protect this environment right now. We just bind and rebuke the spirit of discouragement away from us. Maybe some of us had rough weeks. We just bind and rebuke that demonic spirit away from our hearts and our minds. We bind and rebuke distraction right now. Holy Spirit, let us have laser focus on the word that you have for each and every one of us. Holy Spirit, help me get out of the way 
all of you and none of me in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen and amen. Let's uh, go ahead and, and today we're, we're doing a different kind of courage, part B. Last week was part A. I literally chopped my message in half last week and it was very difficult to not keep talking and so today I get to talk about the second half of what God uh, gave me last week and so let's recap really quick let's recap really quick the first four points and then we'll go through the the second half uh, of the four points today number one was uh, a different kind of courage starts when we fear the Lord when we fear the Lord. Th this would really clean up a lot of our issues and our problems when we filtered all of our decisions through, will this please God? Yeah. Am I pleasing to God? And, and uh, man, I, I, I have a, a friend who's a pastor who literally has lost everything, and he's been talking to me about Man, I, I'm starting to understand the fear of the Lord, that he still loves me, his grace is still there, yeah. but... but I think we, we, we like to talk about the loving, the loving and the gracious Father that has lots of blessings for us. And we don't like to talk about the Father who is a perfect disciplinarian, right? And, and, and Scripture says that, man, God disciplines the one that he loves, right? And so if you're going through discipline today, it's not because God doesn't like you. It's because he loves you and he has better for you. And so, man, that is really the, man, the, the, having fear of the Lord, that he's in control of everything and every aspect of our lives. All right, point number two, point number two, overcome our past and present and accept the future God has for us. A different kind of courage starts when we overcome our past and present and accept the future that God has for us. Remember, we're, we're talking about Israel, and Israel struggled really hard with getting out of their past. You see, they were slaves, right? And, and all they knew was, was slavery and, and, and the bitterness and the harsh conditions that they were living in, and it kept them stuck. They, they couldn't think about a better future. They literally had no vision in their lives that God could do something more in their, their lives. And, and some of us, we're, we're just like thinking about the good old days, and, 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 and you're, you're struggling. I wish we could just go back. Well, we can't go back. Nobody has a, a time machine. This is where we're at today, and God has still got, God has a hope and a future for our lives. <clears throat> number three, number three, different kind of courage starts when we get desperate for God. And now the Israelites were physically in desperation, right? They were in a desperate situation. But last week I talked about getting spiritually desperate for God. Are, are, are we spiritually desperate for God? Because it was literally the cries uh, of God's people that, that turned his heart to his people. Are we desperate enough Yet, are, are, are we spiritually desperate enough, guys? Because if, if we continue to just ignore what, what is happening in our current culture, guys, things are not just going to get better, okay? They're, they're going to get worse. And so are we spiritually desperate? As the church, are, are the followers of Christ, are we spiritually desperate enough to begin to cry out for the lost, hurting, and broken in our own lives? Because it's the, it's the desperation, it's the heart of God's people that get desperate, that get on their knees, that get on their face, that, that get alone with God and, and cry out for his people. Number four, number four, different kind of courage starts when we are willing to confront the godless. It was when Aaron and Moses were willing to confront Pharaoh that God was willing to fight for his people. 
You see, I think we have this idea of, man, when I confront someone who's godless or something that is godless, I need to have all the right words to say, and I need to prepare my argument, and, and I need to win them. Listen, we don't have, we have to win anything. Like, like Moses and Aaron didn't, didn't have to talk Pharaoh into letting them go. God did that all by himself with a bunch of plagues. And so just confronting the godless, man, it, you just confront it. And then many times God's like, now get out of the way. Let me do the heavy lifting. Let me do the fighting for you. Guys, God fights way better than we can. Okay, he's got way more tools. He's got way more weapons. And he's way more effective than we are. Okay? God is calling us to a different kind of courage. And so let's, let's jump into... Number five, a different kind of courage starts when we are willing to become a leader. Guys, leadership matters. Oh, leadership matters. In every level, leadership matters. And, and, and God is, is waiting for his people. He's, he's waiting for a church to lead the way back to God. It, God didn't start moving in the Israelites until someone was willing to be a leader. And Moses didn't even want to be a leader, right? Like, it, he, he was a reluctant leader, right? Like, he didn't even want to, want to do it. And it took him literally 30 years to get there, okay? Come on, don't take 30 years to get to a place where God can use you, okay? But it was the moment that he said, okay, okay, God, you know, burning bush, okay, I get it, all right? You know, and, it, he, and he steps into the leadership. Why? Because God has called his people to be leaders. Like, if you are a follower of Christ, you don't have a choice not to be a leader. You have the Holy Spirit in you who's leading you. That's not a choice. And then, listen, God's called us first to lead ourselves. We need to be leading ourselves in the Word, in prayer. In the church, we, we need to be leading. Let me, let me talk to the men in, in, in the crowd for, for a moment. Okay, let me talk to the guys today. God's called you to be the leader of your home. He, he's called you to be the spiritual leader of your home. And, and, and you're here today because you led your wife to church or your family to church. I, I want to give you a hand clap today. Come on. No, let's recognize the men in our church that are leading their families well. And, and ladies, if you have a, a man and, and maybe your relationship is farther along than your husband's is, can you, can you just encourage them? Come on. Can you encourage your husband? Man, babe, you're doing so good leading our family. Guys, it, it's hard to be a spiritual leader. But, but guys, and, and then I get some of this kickback. If you're a feminist today, you're just like, well, <clears throat> I don't, I don't like that. I, I had one lady come up to me after a message one time, and she said, your message was too masculine. And I said, 
I'm a dude. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> this, is, this is as feminine as it gets. Sorry. This is it. I mean, and, and, and this is how God has created men. And, and, and it's not to devalue women, and women can't be leaders. Absolutely. But, but God has, has called men to be the leader, the spiritual leader of their homes. And, and some of your ladies that are struggling with that, listen to me. When, when your husband loves Jesus like Jesus, when, when your husband loves you like Jesus loves the church, it's really easy to follow someone like that. And yeah, nobody's perfect, and we're all working on it. That's why we need encouragement. We need to be encouraging one another in, in, in this uh, spiritual journey. But, like, guys, this is how God has created it. The men are supposed to be the spiritual leaders. And that's why you see there, men, there's an assault on men in our, in our country and in our society. It's just an assault. What's masculinity? And, and all of these types of things. And, and it's because God has called us to lead our homes first. Let me, let me talk to the singles lady, single ladies for a minute, okay? Hey. <laughs> Don and I used to lead a singles ministry for like five years, and um, <laughs> these girls would come up to me and ask me all these kind of questions, and, and they'd ask me about certain guys in our group. Well, you know, he, he's got a job, and, and, and I'm like, okay, good. You know, and... and you know, he looks, he looks good with his shirt off, and, and, and you know, and uh, he comes to group, you know, pretty often. What do you think about him? And, and I just got to a point where I asked them one question, okay? One question, and that one question was, can he lead you spiritually? And if the answer is, well, I don't, I don't know, then you shouldn't be dating him. You shouldn't be courting him. You should not be hanging out with him alone, Okay? Because why settle for less than God has in store for your life? He's got someone for you that is going to lead your marriage who can lead you. So why would you settle for anything less that God has in store for your life? Now, I know there's, there's ladies in this, this, this room. Maybe you're a single mom or, or, or you have men in your life that don't know Jesus. Listen to me. Do not stop praying for them because God's got a purpose. He's got a plan. He wants them to be the spiritual leader in your home. Man, don't, don't stop praying for them because God can turn it around. God can turn it around. God has called us to be, to be leaders. He's called us to be leaders in our, our workplace. He's called us to be, to be leaders in our, in our families. He's, he's called us to, to be leaders wherever we're at. God has called us to leadership. Deuteronomy 28, 9 through 14. The Lord says this to Moses. If you obey the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, the Lord will establish you as a holy people as he swore he would do. Then all the nations of the world will see that you are a people claimed by God and they will stand in awe of you. Can we just hit pause for a second? Let's just hit pause on the message because I... This statement just really just kind of stuck with, with me, that, that word awe. Listen, 
The world needs a church that they can stand in awe of. The world needs some followers of Christ that the world is just like, man, I don't understand that. How do they have joy in the face of sorrow? How do they have peace in the face of opposition? Like, like, guys, the world needs a church that they look at it and they're just like, man, I'm just in awe of what God is doing in that place. And they can't deny the power and the presence of God when they walk into that building because it's holy ground and something different happens inside of them and no words are spoken. It's the Holy Spirit dealing with them. Guys, the world needs a church that they can stand in awe of. Because this is what... This was the, the special ingredient in the beginning, right? You, you look at the beginning of the church, and it literally says that the people were in awe of God and, and what the disciples were teaching. And, and it was just this awe factor. And, and man, they just loved people. And, and everybody that got around, there was just this awe factor. Like, man, you are different. You, you talk different. You think different. You act different. And, and, and there's just an awe factor that God is seeking. Will his church bring an awe factor to his house? And guys, the awe factor has nothing to do with how pretty the building is, okay? How, how much fog is in the room, okay? It has everything to do with the presence. It has everything to do with God's presence and the desperation of the people and the hunger of the people. The world needs a church to be in awe of. All right, unpause. <laughs> the Lord will give you prosperity in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, and abundant crops. Guys, this is the blessing of leadership, okay? This is the blessing of, of leadership. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work you do. You will lend to many nations, but you will never need to borrow from them. If you listen to these commands of the Lord, your God that I am giving, Lord, your God that I am giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you will always be on top and never at the bottom. You must not turn away from any of the commands I'm giving you today. And he's talking about the Ten Commandments. Nor follow after other gods and worship them. Some of you need to start seeing yourself as the head and not the tail. The top and not the bottom. Guys, we are the head. Like, like, that's not talking about, a, you know, someone who's following along with the culture. No, no, no. That's someone that is spearheading a different type of culture, a different type of attitude. Guys, we are the head and not the tail. And some of you are like, but the tail's so cute. <laughs> Guys, the tail is attached to the butt. He's like, you're the head. You're my leaders. You're supposed to be leading the way in industry and in politics and in the corporate world. And you're supposed to be leading the way. Guys, 
We need, we need to start, we're the head, not the tail. And when we step into this place of leadership, God literally opens his treasury in heaven and he pours it down on our lives. Now, now no one said leadership's easy, right? It's not easy for Moses. People complained about him and, and wanted to kill him and wanted to, you know what I mean? And leadership isn't easy, right? But Jesus never said following him was easy. Listen, leadership has nothing to do with the position in your life. Because some of you, here, here's what's happening. You've got all of these excuses. Well, I'm not smart enough. And I'm not qualified enough. I'm not educated enough. Like, we, we've got all of these excuses, right? Leadership has nothing to do with the position in your life. It has everything to do with the position of your heart. Moses was a shepherd. Like, what in that dynamic qualifies him to lead a million people? David was a shepherd. What qualified him to be a king? Nothing but his heart was positioned right for God to use to lead his people. God's just waiting for us to get our heart right, to position our heart in a place where he can use us in leadership because we're the head. God is calling all of us into leadership. A different kind of courage starts when we, point number six, stop being complacent. Exodus 12, 40 through 41. Now the period of time the children of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. A 400? 400. Like nobody in 400 years was like, you know what? Slavery sucks. Like, they, they all knew the promises of God. Like, we talked about it last week. They all knew the last words of Joseph. They, they, they all knew the promises of God. They talked about it. But nobody was willing to say, you know what? Don't want to be a slave anymore. Who's with me? 400 years? You want to talk about complacency? You want to talk about laziness, but this is what Satan does. Let, let, let me tell you right now. Satan loves complacent Christians. Because complacent Christianity does all the work for him. He, and, and, and let me tell you, you've heard me say this before. Complacent Christianity doesn't exist outside of America. Because we've been, and I'm, I think I'm going to talk about this next week. Because we, 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 we've, we've been so entitled, and we're going to talk about the spirit of entitlement next week and what it does. We've been so pampered and privileged because of the forefathers that died for this country, and they said, man, we need a place to worship God freely, away from the, the government, away from just evil and wickedness, and it's worth dying for. And so because 
of that, our, our country has just been privileged. It's been blessed. And now we're coming to a time where, man, it, it might get hard to go to church. It, it might get hard to, to talk about being a Christian. I mean, we're not there yet, but could possibly come. They were okay with being in slavery. Like just, they were complacent. And some of you today, God has just been trying. He's been working on you. But you would rather just sit on the couch, eat Doritos, and binge watch Netflix than do anything for God. And, and God is just waiting for his church. He's waiting for his people to just get off the couch. Like, can we stop being complacent? 400, I hope it doesn't take 430 years for us to get back to a place where God can begin to use us in a great way. But if we keep thinking that somebody else is going to do it, if we think somebody else is going to pray, if we think somebody else is going to step up into leadership, we're just going to stay the complacent church. At the end of 430 years to the very day, all the hosts of the Lord gathered into tribal armies and left the land of Egypt. You see, it was, it was when God's people stopped being complacent and started grabbing hold of the promises and the future that God had in store for their life. And, and, and what I love about this passage, what I love about this passage here, and we're, we're going to talk about it in a couple, I don't know, we'll talk about it in the future. But all the hosts of the Lord, like, he's not just talking about people there. Oh, he's not just talking about people there. When we see that word host, he's talking about all the angels uh, of heaven are moving with God's people. And, and this is why... Satan loves complacent Christianity is because they're not moving with, with God where God is moving. They're not move, they don't have they, these hosts of heaven moving wherever they're moving. And so he loves complacent Christianity because you can't tell a complacent Christian from someone of the world. Because there's really no difference. It was when they gathered into tribal armies. We're going to talk about this more in detail um, someday. And uh, it, it, man, they got into tribal armies. They didn't get into tribal book clubs or tribal, you know, you know, you know, whatever you like. Uh, you, you like knitting? Let's, let's get into a knitting group. Like, like let's all like, you like movies? Let's get into the movie group. Like, we're going to go this way. No, no, no. He said he gathered them into tribal armies with all of the hosts of heaven, with the angels leading the way, with the Holy Spirit leading the way. When we stop being complacent, we step into leadership, and all that God has in store for our life, the hosts of heaven are with us. Guys, and there's way more for us than against us. And, and living in a culture that, that, that is, you know, leading towards antichrist spirit, it's hard to think that. It's hard to think that way when you're the only Christian in your workplace. 
It's hard to think that way when you're the only Christian at the family reunion. It, it's hard to think that way when, when you're the only Christian in, in your friendship group. It's hard to think that way. And you start thinking, man, I'm by myself. I'm all alone. And what's the point? It's exactly what Satan, the lies that Satan wants you to believe. Come on. A different kind of courage God's calling us to is to stop being complacent. A different kind of courage, point number seven. A different kind of courage starts when we are willing to be unified. God did not move until his people got together and were willing to move. Until they were willing to get into these tribal armies, to, to move together. God was waiting for his people to be unified. And now this, this is a big word, right? It's, and, and, you know, some of us are like, I just wish the world could be unified. Never going to happen. Because our country is never going to be unified. It, it's just not. It, it's, and, and I think we, we have the tendency to look big picture, right? And God's saying, no, no, no. I need you to focus on you. Is your marriage unified? Is your family unified? Like, can we start there? Until we start talking about world peace, right? I think everybody likes to talk about world peace. But God's like, no, no, I need you to unify your marriage. I need you to unify your family. I need you to, we need to unify this church. Guys, there's something like, it's crazy. There's something like 300 different denominations. 300? Satan has done a masterful job of separating the church. With one little word in, in in, in the Bible. He's done a masterful job of separating the church. And, and God's not even asking us to do that. But he's asking us, come on, can we become a tribal army? Can we get unified? Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Here we go, verse 13. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. This is why Satan doesn't want us to be unified. Then we will no longer be immature like children. You see, Satan is fine with fighting against complacent Christians who are spiritual children, who are spiritual babies. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. So this is why Satan doesn't want a church to be unified, because when we unify Maturity happens and people begin to grow in the gifts of God. And that becomes a very dangerous church to the hordes of hell. That, that becomes a very dangerous church to the strongholds of Satan that he has all over our city. When a church says, you know what, man, we're going to commit to unifying. We're going to commit to growing. I'm going to commit to being mature. 
and start eating meat. Like, like I'm going to be committed to that. I'm going to get into a life group. I'm going to get around people who iron sharpen iron, who challenge me, who push me. And so here's, here's the paradigm shift, right? Here's the big paradigm shift that, that, that needs to happen in churches and, and our communities and, and where we're at is that for so long, we just didn't want to offend anybody and we just wanted to be politically correct. We just want everybody to like us. We just want everybody to like us, and so we, 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 we just get really politically correct, and we, we just, like, the problem with that is truth that Jesus talks about is not politically correct. A lot of times the truth that is in the Word of God hurts and convicts and challenges, and so what has happened in the American church as a whole is we've preached these unoffensive, politically correct messages that have created weak and shallow followers of Christ. So when things get hard, it's really easy to just be like, you know what, I give up. It's way easier to be complacent. It's way easier to just stay on my couch, eat Doritos, binge watch Netflix, and just turn a blind eye to what's happening in our country. Guys, God is looking for a church that's a little different kind of courage that's willing to be unified, that's, that's praying the same things, that's desiring the thing, same things, that's hungry for the same things, that, that are willing to become a tribal army and destroy the works of Satan. That's what God has called us here to do. And so what happens when we start getting good teaching and good doctrine in us is that, that we become, uh, we become what, what Jesus called Peter, a rock. Yes, yes. And, and, and he starts building a solid foundation in our lives. And why that's important is because then we become someone that God can build on. He, he, when, when we get solid teaching and, and solid doctrine in us and, and we can defend, we can start to defend why we believe the things that we believe, all of a sudden we become this, this rock. Come on, can you smell what the rock is cooking? Come on, somebody. And, and we become this, this, this rock, this foundation that's like, okay, I can build something on that church. I can build something on that follower of Christ. And he opens up his treasury of heaven and he begins to pour down on them. But we got we to stop being complacent. we got to get hungry. we got to get thirsty for the things of God. we got to get unified and start bicker, stop bickering and arguing about things that do not matter in the grand scheme of eternity. Yes. Different kind of courage, point number eight. Starts when we are willing to stop looking at things from a human perspective. This is what Elisha did for his, his servant, right? His servant was panicking because they were surrounded by the enemy. <clears throat> Elisha's just like, he's shaving. I, I can imagine he's just, he's like shaving, you know what I mean? He's like not worried. He's like, go look out again. All of a sudden his eyes were open and the host of heaven was surrounding the enemy. Jesus is like, you need to stop 
looking through your human perspective because it is ruining you. It's keeping you in depression. It's keeping you in anxiety. It is, it, it is stopping you from claiming the promises of God that he has for your life. We, we, we watch the news and, and, and we binge watch the news and all of this kind of stuff and it's very easy to get a human perspective that everything is going to fall apart. So easy. We need to, if we don't have a different kind of courage, if we're wondering why we don't have courage, it's probably because we're, we're looking at things through a human lens. Matthew 16, 23 through 27. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. When we look at things from a human point of view, Jesus said it's a, it's a trap. It's a trap. And, and what do traps do? Traps stop us from moving forward. We can get caught up in, in everything bad that's happening. And, and Jesus says it's, it, it's a trap. Now, what's, what's so interesting, we're going we're to read the rest of this passage in a, in a second. What's so interesting is that this is the second time that Peter's had issue with Jesus, okay? The first time was when Jesus, he's preaching to like 20,000 people. You know, the Bible says five, but many historians believe there's probably 20,000 because they only counted men during that time where he feeds the, the 5,000, right? He's, he's preaching to 20,000. And, and just, just think about that atmosphere. And just think about being a disciple of Jesus. You're just like, we're taking over the world. Let's go. Do you know what I'm saying? Like 20,000 people, right? Like, like this is it. This is the moment. Like I'm going to be awesome and talk to 20,000 people. Like, like this is what my future looks like. This is what Peter's thinking. And then Jesus goes and says something really stupid. He says, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood to be my follower. Crowd thins out, right? Like there's... 12 left. You know what I mean? And Peter's like, oh, Jesus, why do you say things like that? <laughs> and so the day before, he fed 4,000. He did the same thing, and then they, they, they're in a community, and they're like, man, show us a, a miraculous sign. Jesus is like, no. You guys don't want the miracle to draw you close to God. You want the miracle because you want to see something cool so you can tell your neighbor. And then Jesus again does it again. Like he, he always thins out the crowd. And he tells people, guys, I'm going to die. Peter's like, Jesus, they, they're not going to follow you if you keep telling them you're going to die. And it's because Peter was like, 
We need more people. Like, isn't this movement supposed to be about getting more people? We, we had 20,000, you know, and we had 10,000, and, 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 and we had this whole community. You could have done a miracle, and everybody would have followed you. And Jesus like, it's not about the outward, the human perspective. It's about the eternal perspective. It's about the heart. And Jesus always knew how to cut to the heart of the motive of the person. Because this is his instructions. He said, if, if any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. You see, Jesus already picked up his cross and they nailed him to it. And he said, it's finished. Jesus' work is, is finished. Now he's like, now it's your turn. Now, now it's your turn. I've given you a mission. I've given you a purpose. I've called you to be a leader. Now it's your turn to put, put away all of your selfish ambition, take up your cross, and follow me. You see that? We don't like this part of the gospel, right? Where we got to work and sacrifice. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world? If you become Jeff Bezos, right? And you gain the whole world. What does it benefit you and to lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. But I th I, I, we, we just, we have the tendency to just, I just want it to be easy. Because we live in a country that's easy and it's all about getting more comfortable, not getting uncomfortable. And that's what our churches have become too. I mean, let's be honest, that's what they've become. Let me just get here and feel comfortable and every six weeks I'll come and feel all warm and fuzzy and think that I'm an awesome person and go back to Netflix binging and eating Doritos. Like, Jesus said, no, 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 no. You know what's easy? Jesus said, you know what's easy? It's easy to go to hell. Because there's lots of ways to go to hell. You know what's hard? is to follow Jesus and to put down your own agenda and to put away human perspective and say, I'm going to follow Jesus no matter what. Guys, that takes courage. And that's the courage that God is calling us into as a church. That we would become a church that the world is like, man, there's something different about Passionate Life Church. I don't know what it is. But I'm in awe of what God is doing in the people of that church. God is moving Miracles are happening. Breakthroughs are happening. People are getting saved and set free from addiction and from bondage. And just, guys, it takes all of us moving in the same direction, in the same hunger. And yes, it takes work. Yes, it takes work to show up early and, and, and serve the house of God. Yes, it, it takes work to to lead a life group and to even be part of a life group. Yeah, it takes work. It takes planning. 
But this is what God has called us to do. He's called us to disciple and mature in the things of God. Because, man, my desire as your pastor is that you would would experience everything that God has in store for your life. That you would experience what I've experienced in my life. Where God literally opens the treasure of heaven and just pours it down on his people. Man, I want you to encounter that God that I've encountered. Come on, let's, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Maybe you say today, Pastor, I've never said yes to Jesus. And I need to make that declaration today. Or, or maybe you've just been swept up in the things of this world. And you just need to make a recommitment to Christ today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This is your personal declaration of faith. If that's you today, I just want to pray with you. Just slip up a hand really quick. This is your personal declaration of faith. Thank you, Jesus. You can just put it down. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Yes. And I would just ask that we would all repeat this prayer as we help those making the greatest decision of their life today. Dear Jesus, I thank you for what you did on the cross. And I ask this morning that you would forgive me of all my sins. That you would come into my life and be my Lord and King. And from this day forward, I will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give them a hand clap today. Heaven is rejoicing.